The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, hello, and welcome to Wellness Inc. I'm Dr. Mike Moreno, and we are taking a deep dive into the big business of wellness. After 25 years practicing medicine, I'm fascinated with the booming wellness industry, and I'll be exploring apps, gadgets, and discoveries, everything new to help us get and stay well. And my guest today, I mean, I can't say enough about this guy. I already told him he's my hero on the download because he is, but... uh, uh, this guy's done it all. I'm going to give you a little bit of a rundown on this gentleman, and then uh, you've probably already heard of him, but he has been a practicing veterinarian for about 23, 24 years, almost the same amount of time as I've been doing medicine. Started in San Diego, my hometown, um, climbed to the ranks of chief medical officer for Vetco Hospitals, which I know well because I've donated to them. This guy has worked with the likes of Disney Company, United Airlines, uh, you name it. He has this new show, Street Vet. We're going to get into that later. Please welcome Dr. Quan Stewart. How are you? I'm good, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, very much. Listen, I'm fired up to talk to you for so many reasons. Um, I mean, I, animals to me, and I think those of you listening will agree that they are our family. They touch our lives. They, they are there when our family's not there, when our friends are not there. Animals, that, that term unconditional love says it all. And uh, what you do is amazing. But, and we're going to get into that. But let's talk a little bit about what got you into being a veterinarian. For those of you guys who don't know... Becoming a veterinarian is more difficult than becoming a, a medical doctor. There are very few schools. Uh, there are only a couple of which you're from, you went to Colorado, which is very, very well known. I know Davis is another really well known school, but there are not a lot of veterinarian schools. So talk to us. Let's go back to Dr. Uh, Baby Kwan Stewart. Where, where does this all come from? Uh, you know, when you ask vets this question, you'll get um, different answers, but I think they boil down to, uh, a moment or a couple moments in time in our youth where we sort of had that lightning strike moment or feeling, right? Uh, and and for me, I'll quickly tell you that there was one specific moment and it revolves around a movie. My mother took me to a movie when I was seven. I uh, sat there starry-eyed, which she said, she recounts the story, I barely remember, but she says, you, you sat there, Quan, you cried, you laughed, um, you know, for the whole two hours. And when we were walking out, I was holding her hand. And I looked up at her and I said, when I grow up, I want to be an animal doctor. Wow. I didn't know what a veterinarian was at the time, but I knew, I knew watching that horse on that screen with that boy. And I'm, I'm going to let you try and take a stab at the boy. I know. I was I knew, killing me. I'm thinking. Yeah, trying to yeah. think. I, I knew I wanted to have that ability or power to heal an animal. And that, that set my path ablaze. All right. Now the obvious question, what is this move? And then you and I are almost the same age because I'm 51. So I am trying to think it's, it was my era. I'm trying to think what it was. It's a majestic, it's about a majestic black horse and, and a boy. God, I'm thinking like black beauty or something like that. But right, it's close. Black, the black stallion. The oh, black stallion. I know the yeah. movie. Of course. Okay. Yeah. Still one of the best movies ever. A classic, um, 
but that was, that was it for me. I, I, I started, you know, she said after that, I, I took a, a big interest in science and animals and reading and my grades improved. Uh, we were always around animals. My mom is an animal lover too, dogs and cats, horses, everything growing up. So, so yeah, it's, you know, and, and I just had uh, an aptitude for science. So right. for me, the, the path is pretty easy. Well, I know we all, and I said this before, it is every time I meet someone's a veterinarian, unfortunately with one of my felines as of late, I've known a lot of veterinarians. Uh, it is difficult to go that route. And once you get to that route, you know, I'm always fascinated when, when I take my cats to the veterinarian and they, they assess them and they handle them with such care. And it's, but yet this animal doesn't talk to you. I mean, I know that's probably a question you get all the time. Do you think there's a, some sort of sixth sense or what, how do you go through this process with animals? I mean, what would you say it is? Yeah. As far as assessing, uh, it, that's, that's really everything. I mean, I say we were probably most likened to a pediatrician, right? You know, our, our patients can't talk. We rely on the owner or the mom or the dad right. to provide the history and the background. The problem is a, a lot of pet owners, not a lot, but, you know, owning a pet is still different than owning a child. You, I mean, your focus, your daily routine revolves around your six month old or one year old child. But, you know, our pets go in the backyards, they're getting this stuff, they're eating stuff. We don't always know what they're getting into. So you talk about the sixth sense. I, you know, early out of vet school, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I, I'm guessing a lot of medical professionals. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> spot on, spot on that. <laughs> <laughs> you get out and you think, man, I just went to school forever. And, I don't know. I'm in the room with this client. I don't know what to do right now. And you start sweating. And yeah, so you have these panicky moments, I think, early on out of school. Uh, but really doing um, a comprehensive exam. And then it's just experience and time. And that's why they call it practice. So, you know, 23, 24 years into it, I, I do, you do, I think, develop this sort of sense to pick up on little tiny cues, you know, probably just been embedded in our subconscious over years and years of practice that, you know, it just snaps and like, this is it. And, I've, I've almost amazed owners when I pick up on things, you know, that they're, I, yeah, you're right. I, I've been seeing that forever. And, you know, in five minutes, you notice that. So the whole debate between veterinary school and medical school, it, 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 people always say that it's much harder to get into vet school and vet school is much tougher than medical. I don't know. I didn't go to medical school, but my best friend who I grew up with since I was nine, we, we agreed we were going to follow the same path. We were going to go to, you know, we were going to be doctors and, you know, had this dream of moving to the same city and doing all this. When we got to undergrad, he started going down the, you know, the, the medical path. And I always knew I kind of wanted to be a vet, but we were such, so, such close friends. We thought we're going to do the same thing. Wow, that's cool. And yeah, it was cool. We're still very tight today. He's an ER doctor in Portland. And we do, we have these comparisons sometimes, like, you know, we're, we're actually going through medical school and vet school. We we're going through at the same time. I was like, what's school like for you? And he's like, ah, I'm grinding it out. And I was like, you know, man, I feel like I'm kind of coasting. <laughs> 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 and I, I don't know why that is. I, you know, look, you can relate to this. You're, you spend so many years in school studying English and history and all these things that, that really aren't your thing. And then you finally get to the point where it's like, I get to focus on learning about anatomy and physiology, right. pathophys, you know, all those things have been jogging in my mind for so long. And I don't know, it just felt like it came really natural to me. And so that school was fun. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. 
there are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. All right, let's get into this thing because this is the, the coolest thing. Uh, you know, and I had told a few people that I was going to be talking with you and I told them about what you do and, and uh, they're like, are you kidding? Because it's so amazing. So let's talk about Street Vet. I, I, let's talk about how that came about. You know, I, I know you worked in San Diego. I know you did some some work in Modesto. I'm from Visalia, so I know that area very, very well. But take us through the, the evolution of Street Vet and tell everybody a little bit about this, because this is really, this is like gut-wrenching how amazing this is. Okay, I'll give you the quick and dirty. I, I grew up in New Mexico, went to school in Colorado, Colorado State. Graduated in 97, and I always had this big dream of practicing on the beach. I wanted to be near water. I grew up in the, the dusty desert, and I wanted to come to the coast. I packed up my old Mustang right after school, drove straight to San Diego without a job, and planted my roots, and had been in California since. And I was a traditional associate uh, for a lot, a lot of years. You're finding your place, what you're good at, what you like. Was it you know critical care? Was it preventative medicine? And, and then you, know, you find your spot. And I did that for a number of years, then became sort of rose the ranks quickly. I was chief medical officer for Vetco. Um, and then I, you know, about mid-career, so this is going back about 12 years ago, I, I decided to become, of all things, a shelter vet, uh, mm-hmm. a county veterinarian specifically. So that's when I moved to Modesto. I was county vet of Stanislaw County. And I had a steep learning curve because I'd never done that kind of work. And there is a, a technique or a method to being a shelter vet. It seems like it would be fairly easy. but when you're managing herd health for, uh, you know, hundreds of animals, thousands of animals in a community, there's, there's a lot to the medicine. Um, I did that for five years and I burned out. Um, we were, you know, we're cat lovers, right? But so right. I, I, um, you know, some mornings before 10 AM, I was euthanizing 20, 30 cats oh, d- during, God. during kitten season, during the spring. And, you know, in addition to the dogs, it, you know, the months, you know, kitten season when uh, female cats are queening is typically from March to June ish. And so there are just litters and litters of, of kittens being produced and, you know, out in the streets and in alleys. And, you know, so they come into the shelter and people don't want, you know, a lot of them are sick, they're malnourished and right. they, they just end up getting euthanized, sadly. Uh, some of them still healthy, but, you know, we're just overloaded. It was during the time of the recession. So, People relinquishing their pets, euthanasia rates were skyrocketing, and I—I I mean, it's still a piece of my soul doing that for five years. I can't imagine. I mean, and for those of you out there, we talk about spay and neutering your 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 animals. This you got to get this done, and 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 I just think you know people throw that around so loosely, but that is really a big problem as to why these these animals out there beautiful loving animals don't have homes don't have loved ones and you know to go back to what you said thinking that working in that environment i would think it would have to be so difficult and i mean talk about burnout i know you mentioned your buddies in er doc er docs on average last about 10 years because it's it's a burnout type of profession in terms of medicine but you know you're handling a lot of animals that come from maybe troubled homes or or you don't know what sort of, i mean it's really i think it would be really more challenging i, I can't imagine so you getting burned out on this and Tell us what goes from there. Yeah. So again, during the time of the recession, I'm burned out. I, I just, I, I, 
I did it exactly five years to the day because that's when my pension was vested. I was working, I was a government employee, essentially. You become vested at exactly five years. I, I made sure I got to the five-year mark and I had to leave. And I, talking about switching gears, uh, there was an ad, a colleague uh, from UC Davis that told me about this quote-unquote cool job in Hollywood where you get to be the authority on movie sets and oversee the care of animals on film sets. It's uh, the legacy or legendary program known as No Animals Were Harmed. So if you wait to the very end of a movie and you see the credits roll, uh, if there were animals involved in the movie, you'll often see a credit that says No Animals Were Harmed During the Making of This Movie. This is a program that's been in existence for 75 years, giving oversight to animals on TV and film sets. Um, they were looking for a veterinarian. They had never actually had a veterinarian run the program. And I, I threw my name in the hat. Um, apparently, there were over 150 veterinarians across the country that uh, qualified veterinarians who applied. And somehow, I got the job. And so I went from being a shelter vet to being a movie set vet. And talk about just a breath of fresh air. And, you know, it was a lot of desk work and papers, but I needed that. I mean, after, you know, what I'd been through, it felt like I was in some kind of animal war or battle. I needed that. So um, I, I ran that program as director for the better part of six or seven years. Wow. And it was right during the transition from the shelter to this new um, job that I decided, you know, after all the things I'd learned in the shelter, I was going to go out in the streets and this, this is that moment that happened. I decided I was going to go out in the streets and find people that had pets and help them then and there. I, because my experience in the shelter was I was seeing so many people, you know, dump, relinquish their pets for economic reasons that I ended up, ended up euthanizing. I call it EE, economic euthanasia. So during the recession, so many people were just forced to give up their pets because they couldn't afford medical care or sometimes right. just basic food and and so they, those pets do their holding time. If they're not adopted, they get euthanized. So you talk about, um, you know, spay and neuter, the importance of that. Uh, it's a big one. But the other part is, you know, some people just need help sometimes with medical care. So, right. so Mike, I got this idea one day. I was just going to go out near a soup kitchen, near a homeless soup kitchen, set up a table, and just call over anybody who was holding a pet. Estimates say that in, in America, about 20% of our homeless population own a pet. So about one in five of people on the streets have a pet. And that held true in this line of, you know, 40 people or so. And I just walked down the line. I said, I'm a veterinarian. I have a little table over here. If you want to bring them over, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to help and do what I can at no cost. And before I knew it, I had a cool little line, right, you know, 10, 15 deep and vaccines, preventative care, tree fleas, ear infections, allergies, just basic stuff. And that was that was one of the most memorable days of my life, and that started this now eight year journey as as I'm now known the street vet. Do you remember the first animal that that they put brought to your table? I, yeah, it's it's a little hazy because I I didn't know what I was. It was so new and weird to me. I I was a little nervous. <laughs> Talk about the sweaty palms. I felt like it was my first day of practice. I think it was a um, a Shih Tzu mix. It was sort of a white brownish small breed dog. Yeah. I mean, and it's true what you say. And I'm surprised to hear that it's only 20% of, of homeless have animals because I, you know, I live in San Diego and downtown in any metropolitan area, you're going to have a homeless population. Uh, and it just seems like I see them with animals quite often. So I, I can imagine. And you wonder because, you know, when my animals get sick and, and fortunate for me and my animals, I have the the whereabouts and the and the ability financially to take them somewhere and, and to care for them and do all these things. But you know, s these people are struggling to provide 
you know, food for themselves and shelter for themselves. And so, you know, to have these animals, and I would venture to say that the bond that they have is probably so amazing that they would probably put that animal before themselves. I mean, what, what were some of the kind of the stories that, that came out of doing that? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll start by telling you, I think um, I was relatively naive when I started the work. Like, you know, I have my own sort of uh, prejudgments of homeless people or had. When you see him, when you see him panhandling on a corner and it's, you know, looks like it's a 28 year old guy. I've told myself before, you know, you look able-bodied. Why don't you go get a job, right? Why right. don't you start contributing to society instead of begging? I, I've said that to myself, you know, going back 18 years ago, I don't say that to myself anymore. And uh, this is why through these people, I've learned that one, it's, it's wrong of me to try and write their own story. I don't know what they've been through. I don't know what landed them there. I don't know what's holding them back. Um, do they have, uh, mental health issues or drug, drug issues, or did they not have a good family to raise them? There, there are so many different things that go into these people's stories. Um, so what, what has struck me the most and what I've learned the most about these folks is not to judge them one, to show compassion and kindness first. And then this big question of whether homeless people should even own pets, because I get asked that all the time, and I'm sure that was coming. That's a great question. Yeah, I, a lot of people I hear a lot of people saying that, but I don't. I mean, I'm interested to hear what you say, but quite honestly, I think they probably take care of uh, these animals better than people who are more able financially and other. Yes, yes. To the extent they can, it's amazing what these people will sacrifice for their pets, their own food. They will stay out of. Uh, uh, shelters that allow them in, but don't take their pets. They'll choose to stay outside or continue sleeping in the alley or under their tarp if the shelter won't take them and their pets. So they're, they're not going to be split from their pet. And that, to, you know, back to your question about the, the bond, the, the bond I see between the pet and person in these situations is on a different plane. It's, it's on a completely different level because remember, you and I go to work. Most, most of us who are pet owners, we go to work eight, 10 hours a day. Right. Our pets, they, they sit there and pine for us. They, you know, they're pulling back the curtains. They hear the garage door open. They, they're, you know, they jump up. You know, we are their universe. But these homeless people are with their pets every minute of every day. I mean, think about that. Think about, you know, how much more time they get together, quality time, than we do. We get mornings and evenings, and then we go to bed. They're with them all the time. So the relationship I see and the stories I could tell you about some of these people, it's, it's amazing, which brings us back to the question, should they even own them? And the answer, and, and this is an absolute to me now, the answer is yes. And I'll just put it, I'll encapsulate it with a quote that uh, a gentleman that I met here actually um, in San Diego told me once. He said, you know, Dr. Stewart, I've had drug abuse issues. I've had alcohol issues. I found my dog, Dinker, in an alley. Dinker, and, I love it. Yeah, as a puppy. And now uh, Dinker was seven or eight years old. And he said he's been better for me than any pill or any therapy session I've ever had. And that says it all to me. You know, I'll tell you when my, one of my little guys, you know, I went through a divorce. It was really difficult. And uh, at first when it all happened, I was like, Hey, these are your cats. Aren't you going to take them? And she didn't long story short, the, I would just give anything for these cats. And when one of them got deathly ill, almost died, it was absolutely traumatizing to me. And I remember taking him to the vet and I remember them looking at me saying, his, you'll know what happened. He had an obstruction. His creatinine was at 10. I came home and he was at 10. And I was like, I knew. And they said, you got to take him to this, to uh, the veterinary was somewhere in, 
South Bay, Otay or uh, Chula Vista. And they said, I don't know if he's going to make it. I said, listen, I don't care. And I, at that moment, I was thinking there, I'll, I'll sell anything I own or anything I do because I need this guy. I need, I need to have him be how he was before I left to work this morning. And I'll tell you, I can imagine that bond with, and you said it, it's exactly that. They're with these animals constantly. They don't go off somewhere and go for eight, 10, 12 hours. They're with these animals constantly. So I can't imagine, you know, what it must be like for, for them when you fix their animal, you know, when they come to you when the animal's ill or not well, and you're able to, to fix the animal. I mean, there's gotta be some heart wrenching stories that just make you just smile ear to ear when you think about that. I, uh, yeah, I've cried. <laughs> I've had my share of moments where uh, I try and, and pull it back or tuck it away. But, you know, it's funny. I, in, in to touch on something you said a moment ago that they would give just about anything. And a lot of them probably care for their pets better than they do, you know, people with resources. It's, it's so true. And I look, I've just to give an example, I've had a lady pull up before in a Mercedes come in, um, complain of an ear infection of her dog that by the way, had it for four or five months, a chronic ear infection. She should have addressed a long time ago. And I said, this is what we need to do. I sort of outlined the treatment. And she said, well, I, you know, and then she sort of, you know, she was picking and choosing what she wanted to do. She said, no, I'll just take the antibiotics and I want to do the ear cleaning today. And I said, well, you know, really all this at this point is necessary to treat your pet. And she said, well, not today. She declined most of the services. I know she wasn't short on money. And, and that's not the first time something like that has happened. There are, there are multiple examples I could give similar to that. That would, I mean, I, I've had homeless people who already have nothing. One guy said, I, you know, all I have is this backpack with a few things. I'll trade it for whatever I need to, if you can just, um, you know, make sure he gets the treatment. Uh, so, so yeah, to dispel that rumor myth that, you know, they don't do what they can, or they, you know, they don't care. It's in my experience, um, in my 500 plus animals, probably now and counting, that's not the case. Yeah. You know, when my, uh, my ex-wife and I, on Sunday nights, we lived in little Italy in downtown San Diego. And there are, there's a fair amount of homeless people in this area. And, and on Sunday nights, we would usually make a big meal of which we would eat about 10% of. And then we would take um, the, all the leftovers, we package them up and we would take dog food. And we would walk through Little Italy for like an hour in the evening before it got dark on Sundays. And we would hand out food. And I'm telling you, these people, you could tell they were down and out and they were really happy to be getting the food. But the, the, the joy that they had when you gave them dog food was more of a joy than getting food for themselves. So it, it makes sense. And I can see exactly what you're saying. I believe it 100%. So I, it's just fascinating. Okay. So now let's go to your... Now, my understanding is that your brother and you collectively developed this this show, the street vet. I mean, tell us a little bit more about how this show, I mean, how does this happen? So now you're out there, you're doing your thing. And then what happens to get you to now this, this amazing show on TV? It's by accident. Like most things I had been doing this quietly. In fact, my brother and family, most people didn't even know I was doing this. It was just my little side passion. I would carve out time, you know, weekends, a little time after work, whenever I'd see a homeless person and and just do the work. I just, you know, never really told anybody about it. And I'd carve out a a small portion of my, my income because I, I fronted as much of this as I could. It was, it got expensive with surgeries and, you know, I have to call in favors and, Hey, you know, Hey doc, can you do this pro bono? But 
I set aside a portion of, you know, what I brought in to, to buy supplies and meds and do this. Um, so I've been doing it a few years and, you know, now, like I told you, I, I'd now been introduced to Hollywood and Hollywood's a weird beast. Um, <laughs> That's a whole nother story, guys. <laughs> it's a whole nother thing, but, uh, I'm, I'm learning, you know, I'm learning my way around and, um, on set and I'm talking over years, just learning how the whole, the whole town works. But I was on set one time with a producer and he asked me what, you know, what do you do exactly? And I, I started explaining, he said, no, no, what do you do? Like, what's your passion? Like, what do you, you know, what do you enjoy doing? And I, I told him, I said, I do this, you know, one of the things I like to do is the street work. I go out and help homeless people. Oh he man, said, he must've lit up. He lit up. <laughs> he lit, I shared one story. He's like, yeah, tell me about an encounter. I shared one encounter and he's like, I, that's a docu-series. I mean, that's, a, that's a TV show. So, um, he took it under his wing. It, uh, he financed it, got produced. My brother, uh, works in the film industry and TV in New Mexico. Um, he, he headed up the project and then, you know, three years ago, we made this into a, a 12 episode television show that is, um, it's airing in it's airing in 26 countries, not here yet. And my own family and friends can't watch my own show, but it's in, uh, Europe and Canada and China. Wow. That, I mean, it's, it's gotta be amazing. I, let me ask you I, this, I have this burning question. Has there ever been an animal that you were truly afraid of? Oh yeah. Um, a, a number of times you, you probably wouldn't know it or see it. Right. Uh, you, I mean, you, you really put on a professional face. You've had those moments where, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, you just, you know, I'm just gonna, they're not gonna, they're not gonna see me sweat, but, uh, I'll tell you the breed that scares me the most. And this will probably shock a lot of people. And I've, I've obviously spent time and treated every single breed you can think of, especially being in a shelter. Uh, it's a German shepherd, German shepherds. They, they make me uh, a little, yeah, a little nervous because I've, I just have a hard time reading them. Right. German, and they're smart. Shepherd, they're such they're smart, smart dogs. Oh, they read you and they're stoic most of the time. And, you know, when you're getting too close to a dog, you're, you're palpating their hind end or lifting their tail, you know, their ears go down. They like give you, they, they let you know. But shepherds, no, I've been tagged um, a couple times pretty good by, by shepherds. Never, surprisingly, never by a pit bull. So people talk about pit bulls and the aggression. And I was in a shelter that was 60% pit bulls. Wow. Never been bit, never felt threatened by a pit bull, surprisingly. You know, my buddy that I was telling you about, who's, who's at the uh, barking lot, he, uh, they have a ton of pit bulls. And in fact, he has five dogs by himself and he loves these guys. And he takes, cause he's always like, yeah, there's this one that came in and I, you know, the, he's tough because he's not, he's not going to get a home this and that. I'm just going to like, you know, watch him for a little while. Next thing you know, he's like another dog. So he had, he's like Caesar Milan. Like when he goes walking down the street, you know, he's got all these dogs, but his pit bull is like the sweetest, kindest thing. And they always say that an animal's behavior, disposition, whatever, is really a product of the environment in which they're raised, how they're, and so are we quite honestly, you know, if you raise your child in a, in a harsh environment in that, that, you know, it can go on and on a derogatory environment for that individual to come out that way, I don't think is unreasonable. And I think that's probably the same with animals. Don't you think? I, I agree 100%. Um, if you raise a dog to fight and train it to fight, um, teach it aggression, mistreat it, then that's the kind of dog you're going to have. I'll tell you, if you want to, and I don't share this story very often. I can probably tell in 45 seconds. If you want to hear the scariest moment I ever had. Hey, let's hear it. Now, now we get, now I got to know. <laughs> now, now we're getting good. Yeah. I, um, 
I don't usually recall this story very often, but it, it didn't, when we said pit bulls and it, it involved a pit bull, I was walking away from my son's baseball game. I would say at the time he was probably nine, leaving the baseball game. I was walking down an alley and I saw in someone's backyard a dog that was strung up by a chain. It, he was, there was a chain link um, kennel inside of a backyard, like, a, like an eight by four chain link, maybe four or five feet, feet high kennel. It was a German shepherd in the kennel. He had somehow chained inside the kennel, which I thought was unusual. So he was tethered by a chain inside of this chain link kennel. He had somehow jumped out of it. And he was on his tippy toes choking. Uh, you oh, know, my God. And he was, he was about to go out. It, it, it must have just happened. I walked by. I caught it. So I immediately jumped the fence to, to run to the German shepherd to lift him up and do that. And, and as I'm lifting him up and, and I just get enough under me to heave him back into his kennel, his buddy comes around the corner, around the house. It is one of the largest pit bulls I've ever seen. It was an all-white pit bull with a spike collar. And the first thing he said is, why are you in my backyard? Right? What? And he's, he's, he's coming closer. And remember that moment at Ferris Bueller when the principal puts his head through the, the doggy <laughs> yeah, window and, exactly. the, and, the, and the Rottweiler is like, <laughs> like, he had that look. And he's walking towards me. And I thought, hey, look, I've been around enough dogs. And I've seen enough dog injuries and dog bites. I knew I was in trouble. So within 10 seconds, I scanned the yard and said, can I make it to the fence? No. Um, I started to un undo my shirt um, from my pants. I was going to take it off and wrap it around my forearm to give up my forearm in the event he comes at me because I knew we were, I knew it was going to be a fight. And, you know, surviving a pit bull attack isn't, you know, by, by one that wants you is not in my favor. And I knew all this. I've been, it, I've been in the business too long. I kept, my, I kept my calm long enough to say there's option three. Here's option three. Act like I know him. So as he's coming closer to me, I said, and I don't know where I got the name from. I said, Jasper, J Jasper, where's daddy? Show me where daddy is. Take me to daddy. And no way. And this, uh, you're kidding me. He, he had like this, like the Jedi mind trick look in his face. And he, ah, what? he looked a little confused. I just, I walked to him like I knew him. I said, let's go find daddy. We walked around to the front of the house. I knocked on the door and no one answered. I walked back to the backyard and I thought, okay, now I need to like get myself to the fence. So I was just talking to him, Jasper, Jasper, as I got closer to the fence, he figured it out. It was like the, the spell, <laughs> right. the spell was lifted. And then so you went running, jumping over the fence. <laughs> so I jumped, I, I hurdled that fence and I was out and, you know, but that was my life and death moment as, as a vet right there. I, when I, uh, it, I moved from a house that I used to be at, but our neighbor, um, who I was good friends with this family, they were, they're Russian. They were from Moldova. And he had this German shepherd that only spoke Russian. And it was the craziest, most unruly dog ever. The only person he listened to was my neighbor, the, you know, the owner. But you talk about a scary, intimidating dog. First of all, it was a German shepherd. They're big. They're, they're, you know, they have these cinder block heads. So powerful. But yet he only spoke Russian. I mean, it was like, well, talk about a scary thing. He'd be like, why don't you come over and have a beer and have some dinner? I'm like, no, no, I'm not coming over. But eventually I got to know the dog. But every time I'd go over, that dog was out of hand. I'll tell you. I want to go back because I don't want people to miss this. That the fact that when you started doing this, you're paying out of your own pocket for all of this. I mean, this is, you know, I, yeah, I get it. You have a couple of vet friends that do some pro bono work and some help here and there and kick down some vaccines or whatever it is. But you're spending a considerable amount of money, which finally you you set up this GoFundMe page. I mean, tell us a little bit about that, because this is really amazing as well. Yeah, I um, and 
about the show, I, you know, people think, well, you have a show, you should, you should have plenty of money coming in. I actually went out of pocket a little bit to produce the show and we've not made a return yet. Um, so no, I, I didn't get rich off the show. And, and unfortunately then, you know, was, I didn't have a fundraising platform, so I didn't have any money coming in. I, the show had been airing in, in multiple places and I was still coming out of pocket. It was fine. Cause I'll tell you this, I believe that we have an obligation, Mike, a responsibility as professionals to give back if we can, in a way that we can. Now, look, out of school, I'm buried in debt. You know, you're starting a family, you're, you're finding your place. It, it's not the right time. But, you know, 15, 20 years of my career, I knew it's just how I was raised. I was going to find a way to give back. And this was my way. So I didn't, I didn't, I don't mind, um, you know, putting aside some of my salary for that. And, and look, you're right, vet care is expensive, but I can do a lot with $10. I mean, I'm giving my time for free. I can get meds wholesale. You know, vaccines are pennies on the dollar. I know you pay with $25 for a vaccine. It costs yeah. me like 90 cents. So uh, there's a little trade secret. I can do a lot with a little bit of money. Um, for the more expensive procedures, the surgeries, the you know, dental extractions, mass removals, that started building. And, and so, you know, I don't, it was just my brother one day and it was like, uh, duh. Um, he said, why don't you start a GoFundMe? I mean, you've been doing this like seven, eight years, man. Why don't you just start a GoFundMe? I was like, yeah, why, why don't I? So uh, back in September, we started uh, the GoFundMe, set a modest school of $10,000 in the first four or five months, maybe raised 4000 And then go, I, I guess I hit GoFundMe's radar because they called me up and said, we're considering you for the GoFundMe hero of the month. Yeah, that's huge. And, and I was like, yeah, I didn't, well, I, I didn't know that at the time. I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. And, and I did a little more research. It turns out that they, GoFundMe gets 10,000 new campaigns started every single day. 10, every day, every day, on average, ten thousand people wow. start a new GoFundMe campaign around the world. So, when I heard that, I mean, they they literally have millions, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people to choose from, you know, for this this honor of theirs. And I, yeah, I felt very privileged to to be asked. The, and then it got whittled down, and I was selected as the, the February. So going back February twenty twenty, the February GoFundMe Hero of the Month. And they're based here in San Diego, funny enough. So it started by .comers about 10 years ago. I've gotten to know the team pretty well because they're here. This is the GoFundMe guys. Yeah, their they're company is based I in San Diego. I didn't know that. Right on. Yeah, I didn't cool, know right? that. Um, so they did a video story on it. They did a podcast. They launched it February 19th or 20th. And then my story just went you know, viral for a little while. CNN and Today Show and Ellen DeGeneres and Kelly Clarkson. Within a week, everybody reached out and said, hey, we love your story. Can we... We, Man, we that's so cool. It was I mean, cool. That is such a cool story. Yeah. That's amazing. And then the GoFundMe that now sits at somewhere, I think in that short time, it skyrocketed over $100,000. And and now, so now I have, you know, I have a little bit of a war chest of resources. And we decided to start uh, an official nonprofit called Project Street Vet. Yeah. T tell us a little bit about that. I mean, that's, again, it's just like this story gets better and better and better. I mean, this is, this is going to touch a lot of animals and a lot of human lives, quite honestly, because if the animal is well, the human is well as well. So how does it go to Project Street Vet? You know, my brother and I got to thinking we have, we have this money to spend now. And we, and now that my social media following climbed a little bit and people knew of me, they were reaching out, you know, direct messaging me and, Facebooking and, you know, Hey, I, I know someone, you know, lives under a bridge. Can you help them? I have a dog. I'm homeless. Surprisingly, just about every homeless person has a cell phone, right? So right. they're, <laughs> they're reaching out to me directly. 
thank any help. And so I, I just, you know, my brother and I got to think it. So we, we should just start, let's just start our own nonprofit. It and, makes and really, perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Give totally. the thing legs. And I have vets reaching out to me from across the country saying I was inspired by you. Can I do the same thing in my community? So it's neat, man. Yeah. I, I never dreamed of this. Obviously I, it was just my own little, you know, passion project, but it's, it's now it's taking off. I mean, it, it goes back when you look at how animals are so near and dear to us. Uh, and it is that unconditional love we've talked about. And I mean, there were, there were days when I would come, come home and be so down and out, you know, I'm, I'm living by myself in this crazy house. My, my ex-wife had left and I'm just like, what is my life? And I look down at these two little guys and you just forget the difficulties and you realize how sweet they are and you climb into bed and they climb in bed with you and they just sit there and look at you. And, and, and there's nothing that will replace that. And, and that unconditional love, that statement, it just gets said, but there is so much depth and, and truth to that statement. It really, really is. And I, I just think that the, the fact that someone like you just stepped up and created a presence for this, it, I mean, dude, really, really magical, really, really a cool thing. Thank you. Yeah. I, and it, you're right. It's, uh, I've been a pet lover, pet owner since I was a child. I know the power of the bond. I, I feel my blood pressure go down when I come home after a long day. I feel my stress leave my body. I mean, all the benefits that we're, we're now realizing scientifically, right? We're, we're right. seeing the benefits of owning a pet, tangible benefits to our health and wellness that it's, it's amazing. And that's what these pets are providing these people. They're, they should not be stripped of their pets. If anyone needs a pet, and this is my argument, if anyone needs that, it's someone who's down and out living on the streets who doesn't have much. They need it more than anybody. Absolutely. No, I mean, we look in, in the medical world, we look at serotonin, we look at antidepressants, we look at all of these, these uh, pleasure centers in the brain where we get release of neurotransmitters. And yeah, of course you can do it chemically, but you can do it naturally. And I think animals are a way where you get serotonin, where you get, I mean, when you talk about the effects of depression and anxiety, these are real things. And people, th this is more important in my opinion than any pill out there for depression or anxiety or whatever. I mean, people really, really benefit from these things. And, and I, you know, you've gotten the cred, the street cred, and you've gotten all of the, the fame that you deserve. And I think it's amazing, which leads us to what's coming next. We got, we have some movies, we have uh, some books. So like, well, what's the next thing? I want some young Quan to be watching your movie and have this <laughs> recollection, just like you were watching the horse movie when you were uh, seven yeah. years old. So what's next for you? Yeah, it wouldn't that be neat. I, you know, there's been a few pinch me moments since all this sort of, you know, I've had my little 15 minutes. I've been contacted by a number of production companies and studios about doing a feature about my life. Yeah. Um, that's neat. And we have a new show in development um, where I'm going to start giving care, not just to homeless people, but to people who are just people who may have homes, but are short on resources who are just economically challenged right now during these times more than ever. Right. Right. Lost the job need a surgery, need, need a care. It could be a military war vet who's on a fixed income or a single mom. Find ways to get to these people um, as much as I can. So yeah, various projects, some on TV, some not, some still quiet and I'll keep to myself, you know, little moments I have, but all, all very neat in the, in the, you know, this process, this journey. I mean, it's magical. You, you know, you said this earlier and I was thinking about it and, uh, 
we all have a story and, uh, you know, our own minds were privileged to our own story, but it, it's true. And I know all of us and everybody listening has thought to themselves when you see a homeless person or someone who's struggling, you, you know, it, you, you have a tendency to want to go to a negative place. But I, so many times over the years, I've, I've thought to myself, what's that person's story? You know, what, that person was a five-year-old kid at some point. Right. You know, that person was like me when I was five, you know, I had a loving, you know, family and friends and, and, and you just, you know, that that kid started out with an innocent, like sort of story and you don't know what happened. You don't know what led them to being down and out. And, and you always hope for the best and we do what we can as humanitarians to help. You're clearly doing what you can. But, you know, I try and I think as you get older and more mature and you think about these things. You know, you you can't judge because you just don't know. And uh, I think when you're younger, you're immature and you have these ideations. But uh, the bottom line is we all have a story. And whether it's yours, Quan, or mine or anybody listening, you know, we're privy to that story. And when you see other people who perhaps aren't in a situation that is ideal, you got to remember they they have a story and, and I don't think anybody would choose to be in a situation that they are in. No one would. So be sensitive to that. And, uh, you know, you're doing amazing work, man. I just, I think it's magical. And I'll tell you the, this last few years for me, pets have just, I can't, I can go on and on about how much I love my little guys and, uh, I do anything for them. My girlfriend always laughs because, you know, when, when my cats aren't feeling good, like I suddenly I'm not feeling good. And, and it's like, she's like you and those cats, they're like, you know, I think there's something to be said about when the animal doesn't feel good that you sort of get adopt the same symptoms. And I'm a fan of you and everything you're doing. And listen, you, you're doing God's work. This is just amazing. And, uh, I hope people continue to support you. I hope movies come. I hope books. And, uh, I I'm all about what you're doing. I think it's fantastic. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Yeah. Coming from another professional, it, uh, it, it always feels good. And yeah, I, I, you know, like I tell people, I, I get more from the folks I meet on the streets, I think, than, than I give to them. I mean, the, the reward I get from helping and sitting with them and, and listening to them and, and sometimes sharing my own personal stories and tearing up. It's uh, it's cathartic for me too. It's been, yeah. It is. That's true. Very true. So let's, where do people find you? Cause I will tell you right now, people are chopping at the bit, trying to figure out how do we get to you? Tell us where to find you. Tell us about the website, the GoFundMe. I mean, lay it on us. Yeah. Um, website project street vets. Uh, you can donate there. Uh, you can also go to my Instagram. It's at Dr. Kwan, D R K W A N E. Uh, or at the street vet. I have two handles on Instagram. Those are my most popular platforms as well as Facebook. And yeah, there are links there if they want to donate or just, you know, don't have to donate. Just um, make a nice comment. Watch some of the stories. It'll leave you feeling good. Uh, I, I try and post some of the more inspirational moments I've had on the streets with some of the people, uh, make them uplifting and and remind people that, you know, kindness these days is is everything. And we all need to remember that and, and try and give back if we can. Try and remember that we've all been in a tough spot. We've all, we've all had those moments where we need help right? That's it. Sometimes right? people, yeah. Sometimes people need a little help uh, a little longer than others, but we, we don't get through this world without a little help. So I think the Beatles said that, uh, 
best, right? We get by with a little help from our friends. We do. And, uh, and our friends are furry little animals. And, uh, and our friends are Dr. Quan Stewart, who's doing some amazing work. Hey, man, thanks so much. Seriously, really beautiful stuff. And uh, we're going to look for more of this from you, I, I'm sure, and bigger and better things. I, we're gonna, I guarantee you there's going to be a seven-year-old Quan watching a movie in his mom's lap, and it's going to be your movie, and uh, you're gonna, it's going to take you back to when you were that individual. So uh, well done, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thank, thank you very much. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Amazing stuff. You talk to this guy forever. He lives in San Diego. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to pound down his door and, and, and find him. But, uh, uh, so don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen to wellness Inc with me, Dr. Mike Moreno. My guest will challenge the listener to learn more about the growing influence of wellness in our lives today. So stay in the know and don't miss wellness Inc. Thanks everybody. The Wellness Inc. with Dr. Mike Moreno podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional. Thank you.